Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is an emergency broadcast episode. Uh, breaking news, Barry Odom has been relieved of his duties as head football coach. Uh, so me, your host, Sam Stelling, I am here, and I brought along with me a couple of uh, friends, Nate G. Edwards, your favorite analytics uh, writer for our, our football stuff, and Brandon Kiley, who's everybody's favorite radio host in Kansas City. Uh, we're all going to talk this through, how we feel. Gentlemen, how are you both? Terrible. <laughs> you you want to elaborate on that? Or no? I, I do I, not. I just want to say it's terrible. I'm doing okay over here, guys. I am here to be the voice of reason. <laughs> I will be the people's champion today. It's not a. Uh, it's not something that I play very often, but I'm happy to be able to do so. <laughs> so I want to start this off because I'm I'm angry about this decision uh, mainly because I had a really nice Saturday planned. Um, me and the wife, we, we had planned to go get our, and this is a, a nice little old school reference. We weren't going to make a trip to Bed Bath & Beyond, but uh, we, uh, we went and picked out our Christmas tree. And I was looking forward to kind of spending some time and just hanging out with the wife on a nice Saturday afternoon post-Thanksgiving. And what does Jim Sterk do? He drops some horrible news first thing in the morning. Barry Odom has been fired. Now we have to uh, cover a coaching search which is terrific. I mean, yay for everybody that wanted him fired, whatever. Uh, but 
Nate, you, I think you and I are kind of on the same page in that I think we sort of felt that Barry deserved a little more time, if not necessarily for the job that he had done, but for the potential that he still sort of provided, uh, but also the circumstances surrounding the program. Um, when you heard the news uh, officially, what was your initial take on the situation? I mean, I was very disappointed. Um, I, you kind of felt that it was coming, but I was hoping that cooler heads would prevail. Especially after, you know, however you look, you still beat Arkansas to close out the year. Um, but with the news coming from earlier this week, where we are now, you know, we're obviously not going to the postseason. We're taking a $10 million hit that the university is going to cover, mind you. But still, we're $10 million in the hole. We've got a buyout. It doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere, <laughs> right? We've got an entire coaching staff that we got to pay off, possibly. Then we've got to buy out whoever we actually want. And then pay them money. And then pay them more money to get a new assistant staff. And just looking at the financials and knowing how this athletic department operates and knowing what this athletic department needs and knowing the type of coach that we need, sure, you can get someone on the cheap, but why do it now? Why do it now? Obviously, Barry Odom did not deserve another year, but given the circumstances of where this this athletic program is, it doesn't really have the luxury to say, no, no, you're done. We got to bring in someone else new. And I know Jim Sterk was citing, hey, you know, we're, we're five, you know, however many away from um, the ticket revenue of 2014. Well, I hate to tell you, Jim, but everybody's ticket revenue is down. And especially in Missouri, where fans do not go to games, don't at me, it's, it doesn't <laughs> matter who Adam you bring in. It doesn't matter who you bring in. The fans are not going to show up because it takes six years to get the Missouri fan base to buy into a program, and it takes two games to lose them. So I don't know why he thinks that he can do this. Obviously, he knows the boosters better than I do. He knows the financial situation better than I do. Maybe there's some mega booster who's willing to cut whatever we need. Um, but until we find out that that is true, this just seems like a poorly timed fire uh, that's going to possibly lead to a just continued downturn of the football program. So my general take on this is um, I don't necessarily believe that the overall picture of the program was going to drastically change from one year to the next. And, and if only uh, you had Barry Odom in charge for another year and things were static, which I kind of think they probably would be uh, if some mild improvement and you wanted to make the move next year with the sanctions behind you uh it was going to be a lot more fruitful because now you're you're allowing yourself with a lower buyout uh on your existing coach a little bit more money and more incentive uh for a new incoming coach and so i thought a 2020 hire was just going to be more attractive um brandon you kind of seem to think that this was uh i mean at least we all understand why it happened i, I think that's uh, that's pretty clear, but but I think you you differ from Nate and myself as as the skepticism of the timing uh, and how this could actually work in Missouri's favor. So I'm going to go go through kind of point by point and try to explain where I kind of differ from you guys, I guess. Um, so let's start with the money situation, right? This doesn't happen unless Missouri already knows they have the money lined up. The only way that they make this move is if they have somebody behind the scenes, some high power donor, very likely multiple high dollar donors that are telling them you have the money that you need to go get this hire correct. 
we know this isn't this has run its course with Barry Odom. It is time to make a change. Let's go make the change that needs to be made. That's happening behind the scenes. I can promise you that. That's not reporting. That is, unless if Jim Sturkett hasn't done that yet, then he's bad at his job, and I don't believe him to be bad at his job. So the money part of the situation, I understand where you guys are coming from. I don't think that's a concern with this hire, unless proven otherwise. Um, as for the timing of the hire specifically, I thought Bill Connolly said something really interesting earlier today on Twitter when he mentioned the fact that one of the reasons why this could be an important time to get this done for Mizzou is that they're not really competing with a lot of high-end jobs elsewhere. You can make a case that as of right now, Missouri's potentially going to be, if not the best, one of certainly the best jobs that's open on the market. That helps a lot. The last time that Missouri was looking for a coach, that was not the case at all. And so you end up with your fifth, sixth, seventh option, and now you're going way down your hot board of list of coaches that you want to get, and that becomes a problem in and of itself. And I certainly think that could have been the case if they waited another year for next year. And then at the end of the day, I think this is very simple. I think sometimes we make these these things more difficult than they need to be. Jim Stork had a very simple question. Is Barry Odom the coach that is going to lead us to where we want to go? And his answer to that question was very clear. It was no. And so if you don't believe that Barry Odom is your answer at head coach, you need to make a change. And you need to make a change now because the longer that you put it off, the more you're just waiting for the inevitable. And eventually you're going to have to fire the guy. Eventually somebody else is going to have to come in and correct whatever has gone wrong with the program. And I think Jim Sterk very simply told himself, this is not the guy that I want to lead my program And moving forward, I believe coach X, Y, and Z will be better. And I think he has those coaches in mind already. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made this move. Well, he better be right because... Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Of course. But that was the case no matter what, right? Right. But you just... Any kind of coaching hire is going to be a crapshoot. Remember when we all thought Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech were going to be just the perfect match and he has just scuttled for the past three years, finally (laughs) turning around this year against bad teams? Like... It doesn't matter what you think it's going to be. You know, it has to be proven on the field. And yeah, you know, maybe we're in a better position in 2019 than 15, but is the pool of coaching candidates better? I mean, we're looking at, you know, Mike Norvell is the top G5 uh, guy. And yeah, I mean, he's he's been good, but he inherited a good program and just maintained the course. Really, when you're looking at what the the options for head coaches are, it is not as impressive as it was in 2015 when you had Tom Herman running around. So, yeah, you're first in line for a crappier product. Okay, I just it, it doesn't seem to make sense to me to do it now. And I, obviously, 2020 might not have as good coaching candidates. I don't know, but it's such a crapshoot, and there's no you know foolproof coach that's going to bring us out of the muck anywhere. I just it just makes more sense for me to sit right now with Barry Odom, but of course, that's not an option anymore. I I understand where you're coming from, but what I would say, I guess, kind of as a retort would be, these are always a crapshoot, man. Bill Connolly has done the research on it, and it doesn't matter if you hire the best possible candidate. Like, five years ago, imagine if I had told you then that this is what Tom Herman would become at Texas. You would have said, there's no way. That's impossible, because Tom Herman is the perfect candidate. He's done everything you could possibly ask for. He's done it at the highest of levels at Ohio State. Like, this is a can't-miss prospect as a head coach. Everybody wanted him. And he's been, I mean, at best, okay at Texas. So these are always a crapshoot, man. I know people don't want to hear that, and they want to say, like, you know, if you could go get Urban Meyer, and maybe that's the difference. Like, (laughs) Urban Meyer always is going to be good. But, I mean, 90% of the time when you hire a coach, you have no idea if it's going to work out or not. 
And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Offensive guys have failed. Offensive guys have succeeded. Uh, defensive guys have failed. Defensive guys have succeeded. It There's really no rhyme or reason as to why these guys work out other than some guys are just great coaches and other guys end up kind of falling to the wayside and not working out. Uh, BK, I guess my question for you, because you are the one who uh, who's kind of okay with this, truly, because it is a crapshoot and you never know what you're going to get, is the unknown better than a coach who got you four, seven, eight, and six wins in the past four years? I, I think here's here's kind of a convoluted way to answer that question. I think for Jim Stark, the answer is yes. And you can disagree with that. You can agree with that. I personally think that the answer is probably yes. I think I would like to see what a guy like Mark Nor- Mike Norville could do with this roster. I would like to see somebody that has another opportunity that has done it in the past. Specifically for me, I would like to see an offensive guy come in because – I kind of wrote this today for Rock M Nation. I think that it's really hard to out-defense the SEC. I think it's almost impossible to do at Missouri. And if you're going to try to do that with a guy like Barry Odom, that's perfectly fine. I don't think it's going to work here. And so I would like to see a guy that's going to come in, he's going to bring a system with him, and he's going to be able to develop the quarterbacks, and he's going to go find and develop those guys consistently. I think that's the way you win here. And so... For me, my answer would be yes, and I certainly think today we learned that for Jim Sterk, his answer was also yes. Which is really the only answer that matters. <laughs> that and, and probably a, a handful of you know people that are willing to kind of front uh, you know the difference that the athletic department is going to have to make up uh, when you make a decision like this. Um, so it is difficult because you know Barry Odom is the very definition of a Missouri guy. I, I have always kind of hated it when people compared him to Kim Anderson. Um, even though I do feel like, you know, the comparison of guys that were maybe a little underprepared for the job. Um, but Kim Anderson wasn't a little pre- underprepared for the job. He was vastly underprepared for the job where I think Barry Odom did everything he was supposed to do. He just got the job ahead of schedule. Uh, and a lot of that kind of came from the timing of where Missouri was as a program in 2015. Uh, there were a lot of uh, obstacles. They are you know, coming off a pretty rough season along with the protests that were going on. Uh, there was a bit of a, a toxic culture uh, on campus. All of that has been rectified. So the, the job, the situation, the leadership at Missouri is in place. It's a much better uh, job than it was in 2015. But going back to that sort of higher and the um, you know, the, the, the time that's ex- sort of expired since then, like what didn't work out for Barry Odom? Like, why did it not work for him? What were his pitfalls? What were the reasons that you think Jim Sterk? And I'll just, I mean, either one of you wants to kind of hop in and answer this, feel free. But Jim Sterk obviously came to this decision because of a collection of reasons. What were some of the primary ones in your opinion? Nate, I'll go ahead and let you start out, man. You know, I've been asking myself that question since uh, the Ole Miss game, really. But if you if you look at the past four years, um, organizationally, I don't think he was a good manager of people. You can look at kind of the assistant pool shuffle, uh, where he couldn't find a defensive line coach. He forced out his defensive coordinator. He hired a defensive coordinator when he didn't want to. Like he was kind of all over the map, and that's the problem that happens when you hire a first time head coach. When you are learning on the job, you make mistakes. And when you make mistakes in the SEC, you lose games. So his management of his people, I don't think, was all that great. Now, the management of the players, I mean, they love him, 
But you got to wonder, <laughs> did anybody get better? And I really don't think anybody did. Uh, Emmanuel Hall blew up on the scene, but was always just a nine route runner. Uh, Drew Locke was always, you know, the golden boy with the golden arm. Um, but he was kind of what he was as a freshman. You know, he was still doing it as a senior. Uh, Larry Roundtree is, it was good. Uh, I don't think he's gotten any better. And you can say that for really anybody. You hear about Logan Christofferson. You hear about Messiah Swinson. You hear about uh, uh, the you know, Case Cook. Um, or any of the tackles that have played this year. Hiram White. Like, you hear all these great things about how awesome they're doing, and then they don't play a game. You know, or they start here, and then they're yanked. You know, poor uh, Jordan Ulmer, who just got torched against Missouri State, and now, now is not even with the program anymore. Like, they, 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 they can identify talent like you can't believe. They can't utilize that talent. They can't develop it. And, you know, if you believe what the players are saying on Twitter right now, that's because they got rid of Pat Aggie. And whatever strength and conditioning coach they have is not cutting it. So he couldn't manage his people. He couldn't develop his players to be better than when they got onto campus. And really, you know, the in-game management, timeouts, um, end of end of half, end of drive plays, um, you know, penalties, penalties. My God, I mean, when you talk about a player coach, you talk about someone who lets players get away with things a little bit more because you, you know, your 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 buddies are good. You know, I'm going to let you do stuff uh, as long as you're performing. Well, when you're not performing and you're still causing you know false starts and, and, and aggressiveness penalties like it, it's going to kill you and, and the amount of 100 yard penalty games we've had this season and last season was just astronomical um so it was just a lot of learning on the job and learning to manage and i don't think uh i don't think he clearly showed an ability to do that effectively in enough time that he was given i think he's going to go to a different program he's going to learn i think he's going to be an excellent coach and we're all going to look back and say damn i wish we had him you know, five years later, or if he, I wish he would have learned that lesson sooner because I think he's going to be great. It just, it wasn't going to happen here. Yeah, I think a lot of what Nate said is 100% true. I think the last point is one that I absolutely agree with. I think Barry Odom's a good football coach. And I want to say that out, out front because I think probably based on some of the things that I've said previously, maybe people don't get that inclination. But I think Barry Odom's a really good coach. I think he's a fantastic defensive coordinator. I think somewhere someday he's going to be a really good head coach he just wasn't ready for it and I'm not saying that it was a bad hire at the time I actually thought it was the right hire at the time he was the right guy for the right job at the right time it just didn't work and sometimes that's the case he ended up not being prepared and he wasn't ready for the head coaching job how many times did we hear in year two three and then go leading up into this year man I just feel so much more comfortable in the actual job of being head coach well, you say that because at first you weren't prepared for being the head coach. And I think that ended up ultimately kind of being his biggest downfall was the in-game stuff in one-score games. It was a problem for Barry Odom at Missouri. In the three- and four-score games, it didn't matter because those things don't matter as much in three- and four-score games. And so I think that was a big part of it. And I thought the thing that Nate said that I agreed with the most is I think these are great scouts. I think they have unbelievable scouts on this coaching staff because guys like Albert O were unbelievable the moment that they walked on campus and they were guys that were three, four, low four-star, high three-star recruits that weren't getting recruited by Texas or Tennessee or these blue blood programs. But Mizzou comes in sometimes late with a guy like a Larry Roundtree and they're able to get him to commit and then they end up being really good. But then that's it. Like, there's nothing more to it. They're just really good. And like Tyler Beatty, for instance, he was really good right away. And then 
what did he really add to his game this year? I There's just so many guys like that that you can point to and say, well, they were really good whenever they were prospects, and then they came on right away and they looked really good, and you kind of had this developmental curve that you're expecting, and by year three and four, they're going to be X, Y, and Z. And I don't think anybody has lived up to what that X, Y, or Z would have been given what they were as a freshman. And so I think that was a big part of it as well. And then just he ended up picking the wrong assistants too often. I mean, you look at what the offensive coordinator situation has been since the day that he walked in. I think Josh Heupel's a pretty good coach, but I don't think it worked with what they wanted to do defensively for whatever reason. It just wasn't a good match. They weren't playing complementary football together. And so you add all of these things up, and Barry just wasn't going to work here at Mizzou. I don't think it would have worked if they kept him for another year. I think he's going to work eventually. It's just not going to be at Mizzou, and it wasn't going to be this time around. So it's probably something along the lines of a little bit more timing-related. If uh, if Gary Pinkle maybe doesn't get cancer, and uh, you know Barry Odom gets the job at Memphis, and he's able to sort of you know run that uh, you know for a few years before. Uh, you know, maybe that's all the difference that he needed to kind of learn on the job uh, at a place where your margin of error is a little greater than than the SEC. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I sort of, you know, I, I, I knew kind of going in when they hired him is like, well, you're hiring a first time head coach. There's going to be a learning curve. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. I don't think I I don't think anyone really anticipated the mistakes that he made, uh, you know, early on, like hiring Demonte Cross. And that really didn't work out. Um, you know, Josh Heupel bringing in an offense that put up a lot of great numbers against lower level competition, uh, couldn't get the job done against, you know, some of the SEC defenses uh, and him then, you know, bouncing, uh, you know, essentially kind of giving, you know, Drew Locke uh, an awful lot of offensive coordinators in a short amount of time. Um, so it's just like this, this string of events that seemed to just sort of compound. Uh, and he was always kind of trying to play catch up. And it, it felt like, like last season, like they kind of got it going. Like it really felt like they had turned a corner. They just had a couple, you know, bad luck things. And then even coming into this year, and, and you know, maybe this is, you know, part of the culture of the program. Maybe it's on the head coach. But it always seemed like there was something really fluky or really horrible that just didn't work out for Missouri that I have a hard time kind of putting on coaching. Like, uh, you know, a... Uh, 98 yard fumble return for a touchdown as you're about to you know score against wyoming um you know like sometimes a quarterback making a, a questionable decision to kind of throw the ball into into triple coverage and and turning the ball over when you're you're you know one play or two plays away from scoring again and and it costs you a game um and so i i just it almost felt like from the beginning that the uh the barry odom tenure was always going to have a little bit of a uh, in it, and not that Mizzou is cursed, but a curse to it, if that makes any kind of sense. He's throwing the C word around. like. Well, I'm not one of these people that believes that uh, that Mizzou is cursed because we're a middle-of-the-road power conference team. Like, you know, all kinds of stupid shit happens to you, right? <laughs> right, right. So, like, things be- happen that are bad to Missouri. Things, you know, happen to programs that level because typically you're going up against programs that are better uh, and have more talent and have more margin for error and Missouri just doesn't um, and so oh. I you know, like I, I tend to kind of think that you know without the margin of error that he wasn't able to learn like it just sort of compounded and felt like he could never quite get ahead of the eight ball and uh, you look at you look at performance against good teams you know I, 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 it's 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 silly to say well 
oh, well, you know, he didn't play as well against ranked teams or, or good teams. Yeah, well, yeah, no shit. Nobody plays well against good teams or ranked teams all the time. That's why they're good teams or ranked teams. But the SEC is full of good teams. They're full of good teams who finish over 6-6. Six and six. And his his record against teams with winning records, so 7-5 and five or better, was 4-18. and 18. And I know some of those were close, some of those were not close, but you when you when you have margins like that, small one-point games, that comes down to quarterback play, it comes down to special teams, and it comes down to coaching. And it's those three things. We had the quarterback for a couple of years. Special teams, we certainly did not have the coaching. <laughs> the other thing you want to look at, and we'll borrow from Bill Connolly here, is performance against SP-plus ranked teams. Okay? We can break it out into quadrants. If you look at Missouri's performance against the SP plus top 25, so for all the years, 2016, 17, 18, 19, anytime he played a team that finished in the SP plus top 25, he was 0 and 11. When he went up against a team that was ranked between 26 and 50, he was 6 and 5. And mind you, Missouri was finishing in the SP plus uh, 70th and 16. 28th in 2017, 12th in 2018, and probably 35th in 2019. So that 26 to 50 is when you should be winning those games. And he went 6 and 5. Against the the SP plus 51 to 75 ranked teams, 6 and 2. This is my favorite one. Between 76 and 100, 0 and 2. And then any team that was ranked 100 or worse, he was 2 and 0. But when you play in the SEC, you you play really quality teams. And when you go 6 and 5 against the base, well, you go six and five, six and sixteen against the top fifty. That's just not going to cut it. Yeah, this just in: you've you've got to win the games that you're supposed to win, and you've got to pull off some upsets there. Like that—that's yep. the code to breaking. Like, if you want to be adored in Missouri, what did Gary Pinkle do? Because that's all you got to do. You you got to find a way to beat everybody you're supposed to beat. And then every once in a while, you beat a top 25 team. You pull off an upset on the road against Nebraska, as Missouri did under Barry under Gary Pinkle. In the SEC, you go down to Georgia and you pull off an upset between the hedges, and that allows you to have a chance to win the SEC East. Like, that's what you got to do. You don't have to do it every year, but you got to do it once every three or four years. And I think you guys have talked a lot about timing and why this was the right time or why it wasn't the right time. The reason for me why it was the right time maybe more than any other and i probably should have mentioned this earlier this was supposed to be that year like everything lined up it was the reason why mizzou fans were so excited about this team coming into the season the schedule lined up the quarterback was in place the entire offensive roster basically outside of the quarterback was returning from a year ago the defense was 100 odoms and say what you will about the guy he was a really good defensive coach so everything was there to have the quote-unquote spike season as the coach at Mizzou. And he went 6-6. Six and six. Like, if this is what it is when, you're, when you have everything in place, it's not good enough. And you can blame injuries. You can blame a number of different things as to why things went off the rails. But at the end of the day, his job was... In a typical year, you go seven and five. In a good year, you go eight and four, nine and three. In your spike years, you have the opportunity to potentially, at best, go ten and two. This wasn't supposed to be a typical year, and he ended up still going six and six. And I think that's more than anything the expectations what got Barry Odom fired in the end. You're right. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a lot to do with it. I, you know, if you look at, um, you know, we called the Wyoming game a, a fluke a lot on Rock'em Nation kind of throughout the, you know, the season. And I still kind of believe that it was, um, but if that flute game doesn't happen and you still have a five game losing streak, like it's still a five game losing streak and losing to Vanderbilt and losing to Kentucky and not just losing to Kentucky. Cause I think Kentucky is a better football team than, than some people give them credit for, but losing to Kentucky the way that you lost to Kentucky by getting basically just your ass handed to you and, and shown the door. Um, and then doing that, back-to-back weeks and then having to go play Georgia and Florida and and not really showing up uh you know competitively for either of those games I mean we can talk about how you know the defense have performed well but I think both Georgia and Florida could probably realize that uh they didn't really have to give it their best effort uh offensively because the defense was going to be more than enough to to limit what Missouri was going to do the way that Missouri was playing and I think more than anything the way that that losing streak sort of unraveled the season was was probably a, a a very clear marker that that there was something going wrong whatever that was going wrong you know the only way to really fix it uh was was probably going to be to try a new coach so with that pivot uh perfect time um there have been some names kind of floated out there and uh oh it's hot board season <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the the fun like one of my i God bless the people that are uh, writing to us on on Facebook and Twitter uh, that would love to see people like Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. And, Remember uh, last time around, it was Les Miles. Everybody wanted Les Miles. Yeah. I'm shocked it took eight comments to get to Lane Kiffin. I am absolutely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, I don't know if you guys have been over to Facebook. Like They're even like less realistic over there they aren't, than they are on Twitter and on the Rock'em Nation comment board. I actually think we... Most of our commenters on the site are, are, are pretty with it and understand the uh, the overall landscape and, and where Missouri lands. Because they read Nate on Rock'em Nation. Exactly. Right. So um, I've I've heard like let, let's just we're gonna start off like so. <laughs> I think PJ Fleck was one of my favorite uh, Twitter comments. Uh, Fleck, who was it? Fleck and. Uh, uh, Matt, oh, Rule. Matt, Matt, Matt Rule, yeah, the guy who turned us down once is definitely going to come back now. Uh, the guy after... who is just <laughs> taking any NFL job that will give him any kind of leeway. Yeah, let's bring him to Missouri. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So Fleck, not a candidate. Uh, Rule, not a candidate. Matt Campbell um, is not a candidate either. And a lot of people don't quite understand this, but... Um, essentially, like Missouri is kind of the Iowa State of the SEC. So Matt Campbell would be taking a, a league upgrade, not necessarily a job upgrade, where he can be really good at Iowa State, still be fairly well compensated, and wait for the job that he really wants to take. Uh, rumors are that he's actually pretty high up on the list for Arkansas. 
and they are throwing around Jerry Jones money. Yeah, so that is not Missouri money. He's going to leave for either a bag of money or an unbelievable job. And if he doesn't get one of those two, he is not coming to your program. Yeah. And I, I really don't think that that's something I, and I, I kind of heard some things that he's probably already kind of turned Missouri down. So uh, next up, I think is, if we kind of talked about Norvell, um, Nate, what are your cons about Mike Norvell? Uh, he inherited a really good program and kept the ship going. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with that, per se. Um, there's always something to be said for for maintaining the dynasty, if you will. I mean, Chris Kleiman at North Dakota State did the same thing, and he's doing excellent at Kansas State in his first year. Um, my problem is, obviously, he's going to be expensive, not just the buyout. I think he's like at $13 million over five years, so it'll be, it'll be hefty. But he is also the G5 coach du jour. So you're going to have everybody throwing him an offer. Um, obviously, from a regional standpoint, he fits. Uh, offensively, I don't super like his offenses or the quarterbacks that he chooses, but it works. Uh, defensively, obviously, that's the Barry Odom defense, which works pretty well. But it's just, I think you're going to get in a bidding war, and frankly, I just think Missouri's going to get beat, so we might as well look somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that that's true, BK, though. I don't know. Um, so he, here's what I would say. I think the jobs that you'd be getting in a bidding war with would be Florida State and Arkansas, right? As of right now, depending on what happens later on in the carousel. But it seems, and we'll see, but it seems like Campbell is the leading candidate at Arkansas. And so now you're just down to Mizzou versus Florida State. Now, Florida State's got the money to throw around. No question about it. There are some coaches, though, that if the money is not totally crazy at one place and like limited at another, we'll take the job that's a better job. And I think this is going to be maybe kind of weird. I think you can make a case that given the situation and the expectations, Missouri might be a better job for a guy like Norvell than Florida State. That's not to say that it's an easier place to win necessarily, but if you go to Florida State, you're expected to win nine games right away. At Mizzou, if you win seven games next year with a new quarterback and a new system, like that's going to be okay, and you're going to have a little bit of a honeymoon phase. So I don't know. I don't know Norvell at all. I don't know anything about him necessarily in terms of what he's actually looking for in his next job. But if that's the case, I think there's a case to be made that he could potentially be interested in Mizzou even ahead of a, a place like Florida State. So I find that that sort of disposition a little interesting, mainly because. You know, both Florida State and Arkansas are fire are coming off firing their coach after two years. Um, you certainly, at least, I am. I tend to be a little bit more of like a conservative in these these kinds of areas. Like, if you like, I would rather have the security if I were uh, in that position. Like, I don't necessarily understand these guys that just want to hop to the biggest job with. Like, I, I kind of feel like I'd be good at like. Uh, yeah, Coastal Carolina and just, you know, winning six games a year and, um, you know, like like having a job in a nice place uh, where the weather's nice. <laughs> so I'm really not like wired like these coaches are, um, but I really would find it interesting like how much that would play into the fact that, that Florida State was so willing to move on from a coach after two years. Uh, Arkansas, I mean, and obviously in both those cases, things were progressing really poorly for for both chad morris and willie taggart um but does that sort of play into your decision making you know where uh and it i almost kind of look at the same thing like 
you know, Barry Odom won, you know, six games in a year with a lot of injuries and, uh, and was an alum and, and got canned. So, I mean, does that play negatively towards uh, any coach that, that might be potentially interested in the job? Also, if he and Barry are buddies and he feels like we did him dirty, you know, but then again, a lot of money can, can soothe over those things. One thing I will say mm-hmm. that is a plus for us and a negative for Florida State, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm right. Florida State <laughs> does not have a football-specific facility. They don't have them. Um, one of the things with Florida State that we often forget is that up until the 1970s, it was a women's college. It was a women's teaching college. So they do not have uh, endowed scholarships. They don't have old money boosters. They have a strain of success that Bobby Bowden brought and Jimbo Fisher capitalized on back in 2013. But they actually are not great from a facility standpoint or from a throwing money around standpoint. So if we get in a bidding war with Florida State, maybe we have a shot. Maybe we have a couple more you know, built-in incentives that he might like. Um, but I think the main thing for Mike Norvell, because I know my argument against him was really weak, is that I want somebody else. <laughs> Who's your number one name? So, let's, let's all right, it. are we Who's just doing this? All right, name? let's get to the number one. I know I threw some crazy names out there, but I want to talk to you about William Billy Napier. Uh, coach at okay, I've heard this name a lot. Tell me about him. Tell, t- tell me more. I'm interested. Coach at Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana. I don't uh, Raging Cajuns. I don't know what they call themselves anymore. <laughs> Um, he's only been on the job for two years, but he was a GA and a recruiting coordinator at Clemson during the end of the Bowden slash beginning of the Sweeney years. Um, so he's had, he has that recruiting kind of chops. He brought in a lot of those kids that won, uh, the first national championship for Clemson. He's also got Saban all over him. He was a receivers coach for the Crimson Tide from 13 to 16, I think. Um, and in my piece, I talked about Todd Graham and his ability to identify solid assistant talent. Well, he plucked uh, Billy Napier from Alabama, made him offensive coordinator of Arizona State. Their offense immediately improved while their defense regressed. So at that point, when they brought in Herm, Billy says, see ya, goes Louisiana Lafayette, and wins seven games, plays in the Sun Belt Championship his first year, uh, and has currently only lost two games, will play in the Sun Belt Championship yet again, improved their recruiting from 119th to 105th to a 76th. Uh, he is young. He is motivated. He has got a lot of good coaching stank all over him. Um, and he's also cheap. He's currently making like $300,000 a year. I'm not totally sure what his buyout is, but I think it's just the remainder of the contract, which is four years, so you know, a million, million and a half. Yeah, if he's making 300000 it's nothing. Yeah, so we can afford him. That's, I think, the number one thing. And he's young, and he's proven that he's really good, and I would love to see him take the helmet at Mizzou. So there are actually some Mizzou ties at uh, the athletic director's office. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware mm-hmm. of this, um, yep. ULL actually hired Brian Maggard, who was in the Missouri Athletic uh, Director's Office with uh. Mac Rhodes, uh, and and Maggard took uh, Nico Yanko uh, with him, uh, and and BK, our good friend Pat Crawford, is say, yeah, Patrick Crawford's <laughs> down there now too. He's like the head. He's the head of their PR department. Yeah, yeah. So he does all so the Stratcom stuff for them. Um, and interestingly enough. Uh, I believe ULL is on Missouri's schedule, if not next year, like the year after. Like it's pretty soon that that Mizzou plays 
uh, ULL at, at Furrow Field. So that would actually be kind of interesting if they were to hire away their coach and then their, their coach would have to coach against his, his old players that he, uh, he recruited uh, to, to Louisiana Lafayette. I know some people may laugh at some of those kind of like secondhand connections. That stuff does matter, though. Like if, if Jim Sterk is going to talk to somebody about, hey, tell me about this Billy Napier guy. There's nobody better to talk to than the guy that literally works side by side with him every day. And you know who's around those programs a ton is the SID. The guy that actually has to be pushing out the information for them to make sure that the media gets everything that they need. Like those those guys know a ton about go, what goes on inside of those programs. And so silly as it may sound on the surface, that is somebody good to be able to talk to and you would imagine at least have their trust of they're not BSing you with what they're telling you. Yeah, and get a, a really good idea of uh, you know what kind of person is that you know because I think I do think that Jim Sterk is very sort of conscious of making sure that. You know, these are the kind of people that he feels like they're Mizzou kind of people. I think that's one of the things that sort of led him to Consul Martin when he hired Martin. Uh, and, and so I, I do think that he is going to look. It's also the reason why, by the way, Mike Leach will not be a candidate yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, get that nonsense out of here. Good. He's a, he's a terrible person. Um, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. But, like, th- there are a lot of Mizzou fans. The number one name that you're seeing on any hot board right now from Mizzou fans is Mike Leach. And I, I understand it from a football perspective. He's a great coach. He's a guy that's going to get the most out of your offense every year. He's proven that he can win at programs that are perennial losers. Like he's a good football coach. The problem is literally everything that comes <laughs> alongside of it. Like the stuff that happens outside of when you're playing the football games. And for fans, a lot of them don't care about that. But for somebody like Jim Sterk, who is in charge of making the decisions, that matters a lot. So if you want to know why he's not going to be a candidate at Mizzou and he will not be, that's why. Basically, right there. He is also not innovative, and I know BK. That's something that you had on sure. your list, but he he has run the same offense since 2008. Uh, Jimmy Lake over at Washington, their defensive coordinator, doesn't want him to leave. He's like, we know exactly what they're going to run, yep. and that's why they've won seven years in a row. So, if you want an innovative guy who's going to kind of re revamp the offense and make something new and unique, it's not going to be Leach. Yeah, and uh, basically Jim Sterk is just going to say like, I just don't want you to make my job harder. <laughs> And, and he and absolutely, he, he absolutely will. will. Absolutely like he'll will. say something and tweet something, respond some way. Like his most recent situation at the press conference, you know, being, you know, all smarmy towards a reporter and like calling him out. Like that's going to run great for people that don't like that reporter. But, you know, for everyone else around the program, that's just that's a really, really bad look. And I the reason casual fans like Mike Leach is because they don't pay attention because he's in Lubbock and Pullman. And all of his antics are left in Lubbock and Pullman. You put him in the SEC, even if it is Missouri, you put him in the SEC under that microscope, he is going to have so many foot-in-mouth moments, it is going to drive you crazy, and you're not going to have any fun. Like, I kind of lo- love for Arkansas to hire him. Like, go, go ahead. <laughs> sure, go ahead, yeah. I, 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 yeah, like, I, I just, I think that, it, like, yeah, he'll probably win, uh, beat Missouri a couple times here and there. But for the most part, like, like that shtick and that style of play just won't won't succeed long term in the SEC, and it won't take long for these defensive coordinators to figure that out and and to really sort of you know crush him. Um, so, well, Nate, I want you to tell me about Willie Fritz because in some private conversations with uh, with the Godfather Bill Connolly, he mentioned uh, Fritz as being a guy who he really liked. 
Nobody loves Willie Fritz more than Bill Connolly. It's the best. I love it so, so much. So Bill loves Willie fact. Fritz because uh, Willie is very, very open and uh, and will like talk to Bill and and uh, help Bill out. And I think they have a really nice relationship. So I think that's part of it. Um, so what more would Bill want than to actually have that at Missouri? That'd be great. Um, but why would I want and why would I not want uh, Willie Fritz at Missouri? So you don't want Willie Fritz because there is a chance he just runs the straight option. Triple option, quarterback under center, fullbacks, slot backs. And as as a power five program in the SEC, even as a guy who loves triple option football at his heart, I don't want that for my program because it automatically caps your ability to win the conference, go to national championships. You don't get to recruit the kind of kids to run this the the option that you could uh, if you're running the spread or even, you know, whatever we call the pro style set now, kids who want to be in the NFL, right? That's the point. They don't want to run the option. They want to run something cooler than that. And the option gets results. It absolutely raises your floor. It lowers your ceiling. And recruiting is the lifeblood of any success. That's why Gene Chizik has a national championship and Grandmaster Tactician Chip, Chip Kelly does not. Okay. It's all about recruiting. Um, but, but, Willie Fritz has modified his attack at Tulane. It's not pure option like it was at Sam Houston State or Georgia Southern. He's made it more shotgun spready. Um, and even with that, he's still tactically sound. No one runs an end of half offense like Willie Fritz. No one manages his timeouts like Willie Fritz. No one adapts during the game like Willie Fritz and his staff. And if you want a coach who's tactically sound, who can adapt to what he has and modify as the game goes on, that that's your general right there. You want Willie Fritz. He's a little older, but he knows his football way better than most people out there. And if he can modify the option so he can attract the NFL talent that we need, keeping the tactics and, and the defense that he's had at Tulane that works, it could really be great for Mizzou. BK, do you have a take on Willie Fritz? I I got to be honest with you, man. I'm not going to pre- sit here and pretend like I've watched a lot of Willie Fritz football. I the only reason I know the name you're not is checking out Tulane. Come on, I know. I the only reason I know the name as well as I do is because I was covering Mizzou in Columbia the last time that there was a coaching search, and I talked to Bill Connolly a lot about the search, and he always brought up Willie Fritz's name. So <laughs> it's the only reason why I even like have a an opinion at all on Willie Fritz, but he seems to still be in the conversation, which means that he's done a good job. I, I there's, there's that. Um, I, I'm not in on option coaches in general. It's one of the reasons why I have questions about Troy Calhoun. I know he's a favorite among a lot of people. I don't know if he would bring that with him to his new place or if he would continue to run the option in some sort of capacity. Uh, he does a lot of zone blocking, though. Sure. So it's it's got some pro concepts to it. Um, Jeff Monkin's a guy that a lot of people have brought up. Like in any of those service academies, I just I just have questions about the, how the coach translates, and that doesn't mean that they can't. A lot of them have in the past, but I just have questions. So that would continue to be my question there as well. Um, a name that I did want to kind of throw out to you guys because he's somebody that is going to get a lot of discussion among Mizzou fans is Brian Harson, the coach currently at Boise State. I don't know how realistic, if no, at all, he is no. for Mizzou, um, but I know there are some Boise State fans that actually think that they would be happy to let him go at this point. <laughs> um, where are you guys at on him? 
that that's he's always dangerous when the fans are like, yeah, please take yeah. our coach. Yeah, he's he's been a West Coaster for most of his life outside of the brief stint at Arkansas State. He can recruit California and Washington like you wouldn't believe, but he's going to have to work uh, at the relationships in Missouri, in Texas, in the Southeast. Like Tactically, I think he's, he's perfect. He has great game plans. He knows his football. I'm sure he could get a good staff, but you're going to have to sacrifice some of your staff for recruiters. So I think like more like the wide receiver position, the defensive back position. You're going to have to slot those with recruiters instead of actual position coaches while you build those relationships up. So it it's certainly possible. I know he's itching to move on because I think he's proven everything right. that he can at Boise, um, but certainly wouldn't be the top of my list. Yeah, I feel like that's a, that, that's a challenging move. Um, when you look at sort of Missouri's unnatural natural recruiting territories and i say unnatural because it's like when they were in the big 12 it was very natural for them to go in and and pluck out you know guys from texas and uh and kind of stay in in texas and missouri and and kind of get things accomplished there and and they've had to sort of spread that out a little bit they they dip into florida here and there they they you know kind of hit georgia and the carolinas and and they're recruiting all over the southeast and and still kind of going into texas but because of Missouri's sort of unique position in the country as, as far as not really being a state that produces a ton of elite level, uh, you know, power conference football players, uh, they're going to need somebody who can go into other territories and, and, and recruit guys that are obviously, like we always say, guys that are maybe a little overlooked by the in-state schools. Uh, maybe you can talk a guy out of going to, um, you know, like Baylor, Texas tech and, and coming to Missouri, um, you know, but it, that's one of the more difficult things for a Missouri football coach is, is how are they going to attack the recruiting of the program and how are they going to build it up? Because I've always felt that what Missouri really needs is somebody. And I kind of felt like Barry Odom was, was on this track. Uh, he just couldn't get the <laughs> things on the football field right. But I feel like the recruiting was trending upward and, and they were making inroads in St. Louis and, and landing guys that maybe they didn't land, uh, you know, in, in the first year or two. And and they were able to kind of still go into Texas and, and Florida and get you know guys that were productive. Um, we just we just need more of that. And then from there, you kind of hope and maybe you can kind of turn that guy who you know two years ago was like a five point six three star rivals kid to like a five point seven or a five point eight four star kid. Uh, and then you start you're able to kind of you know trend upward and get to the like talent level where you're you're competing more. Um, you know, with Arkansas and, and, and schools like Mississippi, uh, where their their recruiting is more top twenty five, and I think that's kind of where Missouri probably wants to land eventually is is have more top twenty five level classes. I think that would be great. I don't know how realistic that is, but um, it's yeah, a lot if we to can ask. Hit top twenty five, yeah, we'd be in a great place. Always uh, outperforming <laughs> our expectations. So. Um, so we are we are kind of up against the time wise. I know we didn't want to uh, hammer too uh, too much right now because there was still kind of a lot in flux. We still don't know exactly uh, how long the search is going to take. So I imagine there will be more podcasts this week. I think this is going to go quick, man. I think this is going to move really quick. If it has to, the first round of sounding days in a couple of yeah. weeks. They got to they got to find a coach, salvage the, their recruiting class, and this is going to. I think in the next two. I heard this earlier today in the press conference. I think that in the next two weeks, we're going to have our answer. Like, I, I think like that's, that's the 
absolute end date potential is this time two weeks from now we're talking about who the next coach is at mizzou but i think they would like it to be even faster than that honestly well i would like it sooner um guys i'm ready to turn the page under this basketball season see if we can't fig- figure out the missouri basketball offense oh. so uh it would be nice to kind of turn the page get the recruiting going uh actually uh give uh nate and uh and coach Buston an opportunity to kind of break down the film and, and tell us exactly what we're getting in our coach um but let's go on get on out of here we will uh we'll try to record again in the middle of the week with any kind of updates and and news and notes and whatnot um any any last takes before we get out sam before we go I, I want to hear from you guys, your top candidates as of today. Like as of today, who is your, your short list of the guy that you want to see Mizzou hire? Uh, Billiam Napier. <laughs> uh, I, I'd be happy with Napier. Um, I, I, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit more of a realist about this. So I, I think that whoever they hire, there's always going to be an inherent risk. And so I'm, I'm in this immense stage of worry right now. Um, but I think if you, if you get either one of Norvell or Napier, I'll, I'll be pretty happy. If it ends up being Fritz, like, I'll be like, Hey, that sounds like fun. Bill seems to like him. So let's do it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I I think at that point, like I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that whatever, um, whatever they end up doing is going to hopefully work out for the university. But, uh, I think the only, the only two guys that I would think are really I would kind of consider a home run at this point would be one of those two guys. And even, even Napier, I don't know that I would consider a home run. Like, I don't know that he's going to win the press conference. Um, but a, a good, a he good won't. solid hire that I think, that I think can <laughs> kind of steer Missouri in the right direction is, is um, one of those two guys would be happy with. I, I know that so many people will always compare, you know, any coach to Gary Pinkle. We can't help it. He was the best coach we've had in the past 20 years. I don't care about winning the, pre- the the press conference. I really, really don't. I care about winning the recruiting trail and t- making these kids better. And whoever does that, Sterk, uh, search firm that you're using as well, uh, get that guy, please. My number one choice for what it's worth would be Joe Brady. I don't think he's a realistic option. I don't no. think that Mizzou's going to be going down that path, but Joe Brady would be my number one really? choice right now. If you're getting him as OC, I'm all on board, but not as HC. We've, we've played this game before where you're learning on the job and no thank you. <laughs> I, I know, but it, it, it has worked before. Just because it didn't work with Ari Autumn does not mean that it can't work. <laughs> and I think if it's going to work, no, the this guy is, that is... This is this is how you break up with coaches. You, you know, Just like your ex, you go with the exact opposite. So no, it's not going to work. I know, but that also gets you into as much trouble as not returning to the one that you had previously. You went with that one for a reason. It was because at the time you thought it was a really good idea. Sometimes it doesn't work, man. I, I think Joe Brady would be a, an inspired hire. I will be absolutely stunned if that's the direction they go because I think that they have the same mindset that what you're hearing from Nate right now. I think they're going to go with somebody that has head coaching experience. That would be my number one choice. Number two, I, I do think Norvell would be a good hire. I think that's the guy that they would like to land, and that would probably be my number two choice. I dig it. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I don't really know like how everything's going to play out, but I'm going to try to get everybody back together again for another one of these so we can sort of, I don't know, piece things together maybe in a few a uh, few more days once there's a little bit more information available. Uh, in the meantime, uh Make sure that you are subscribed to the Rockham Nation podcasts. Uh, there will be more coming. 
Uh, follow Nate on the Twitter sphere. Follow uh, BK on the Twitter sphere. Don't bother following me. Um, I already have too many followers as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've caught a lot of grief Flex. in the last few Are days. You flexing so. on me? No, sir? no. Like like I'm I I feel like I'm at my cap. I I can't really handle anymore because uh, I've I feel like I've caught a lot of grief and I'm I'm just I'm kind of done with it. Um, so uh, everybody uh, enjoy what is left of this holiday weekend. Uh, we will be back with all kinds of information on Rock Nation. Check those things out, and we'll be back and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>